Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The show is brought to you by our generous patrons at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. Robots Radio presents the Fallout Lorecast. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast, a place for the Fallout community to come together to explore the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. All right, friends, welcome back. It is the end of the month patron episode. And before we get to our recording with our tier four patrons about thoughts about where Fallout 5 should be located and some of the things that would go on in that game, uh, which, by the way, Bethesda, if you guys are listening, these are some really cool ideas. So uh, you might want to, you know, I don't know take them <laughs> and use them somewhere. Um, anyway, uh, before this gets too far into that, before we get to that recording, I need to take the time to thank our patrons who signed up over the last month since the last uh, patron episode and read through some of the reviews that you guys left on Apple Podcasts. So let's just get into it. Our first new patron of the month who signed up right at the end of December, right after that last episode, is Joseph B. Thank you for signing up, Joseph B. Then we have uh, Nunimer Nomenclature, Lexicon Halberd. Welcome back, Lexicon. Moxie Mistake, Toten Magoats, and Richard R. Thank you so much, everybody. Oh, and also uh, Zemnies Nightwolf. Man, so many cool names. Thank you so much for supporting the show. As always, patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. Check out all the different rewards. And I was discussing some of this with our tier four patrons last night when we recorded the episode. Uh, but there might be some new ideas for other ways for you guys to interact with the Fallout Lorecast and the Robots Radio universe of stuff. So... Stay tuned. Who knows? Maybe there'll be some new options in the patron uh, in the next few days. I'm still thinking through some of the details on how to get some of this stuff to work, but uh, you guys had some really cool ideas. So we'll see. We'll see. I'll see what I can get out there. Also, uh, our reviews for the last month, and I'll try to get through these as quick as I can to get you right into the episode. Soul Mac from the United States writes, a fun Fallout Universe lore cast with thought-provoking commentary. Five stars. I got listening. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I got started listening to the Fallout Lorecast as a way to learn more about the Fallout universe after receiving Fallout 4 for Christmas. Merry Christmas, dude. I have greatly enjoyed Robot's perspectives and his philosophical twists into the Fallout universe. I would highly recommend giving him a listen if you are a Fallout fan. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad you're enjoying my perspectives and the way that I do the show. That means a lot. I really do appreciate hearing a specific critique of those kinds of things. 
Uh, then we have Call Rose S12, the greatest Fallout podcast. Wow, that's high praise. Five stars. Robots with Zeros is an amazing host who provides easy to understand and fun lore bits. I got into the Fallout games with Fallout 4 and have played three New Vegas and 76 since then. I was super into the gameplay, but this podcast has gotten me super interested in the amazing lore. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much. That's awesome. Then we have Bored Middle Schooler. <laughs> oh man, I was I've been there. <laughs> uh, who writes awesome podcast, five stars. This podcast is awesome. Uh, I've been looking through a lot of podcasts lately, and this one hit the spot. Heck, it it got me into the game in the first place. Wow. Thank you, robots, for getting me into this amazing universe of Fallout. Well, you're welcome. I'm glad you're enjoying the Fallout universe. There's just so much there to enjoy. Then we have A. Kez, K-U-E-Z, from the United States, who writes, uh, enjoying the podcast, two exclamation marks, five stars, late to the game. I am currently binge listening to the show and trying to play catch up. Well, no rush. You'll get through it, I'm sure. And I appreciate the review. That's so nice of you. Last one, we have Malfunction, spelled in a cool way, missing a bunch of vowels, uh, from the United States, who writes, great Fallout history lesson, five stars. I'm about a year behind on the podcast, but I'm loving these as a tie-in as I play through Fallout New Vegas and Fallout 4. I imagine it as a hardcore history, like radio station, that teaches the backstory to the world. Fun and informative. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, hardcore history is one of my favorite, absolute favorite all-time podcasts. Um, he does such a good show, uh, such a good job with that show in really bringing you into the history of it. Um, and is, if you can tell, is an influence in the way that I do some of my episodes. So that's a really cool connection. So thank you so much for that review. As always, if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts during the month. I will get to it at the end of the month and read it out on the show. So thank you to everyone who took the time to do that. That really does help grow the show. Uh, having 200 plus five-star reviews is a, a significant way to let people know that, hey, this is worth listening to. It's enjoyable and it's high quality. So thank you to everybody. And I'm not going to take any more of your time. Here is our tier four patron episode where we discuss our perspectives on a really cool setting for Fallout 5. Hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, no, it was a uh, very cool, like if, if it had just been slightly different, I would have died. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I, I managed to uh, survive, so... Everything is great. I can only imagine what that, how that would look in a newspaper. Trucker, death by peanut butter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> by peanut Trucker, butter. Highway accident kills twelve. Peanut butter. Upon second look, uh, upon, upon investigation, <laughs> we realized that the trucker driving who initiated the accident was beamed in the head with peanut butter. <laughs> Listen, let's just be thankful that um, that Kraft peanut butter puts it in plastic jars, not glass jars, guys. <laughs> I couldn't help myself but to add some of the ridiculous pre-show banter into the beginning of the episode. Uh, but one last note, 
um, Shidiot, who was one of our tier four patrons with the most ridiculous names, uh, was able to call in after the episode, or not really call in, but send in a recording and a clip of their thoughts. So that's tacked on at the end of the episode. And uh, Victor hasn't been able to do that so far. So uh, theirs is going to be put at the end of another episode coming up. So without further ado, again, here is the conversation that we had. Enjoy. All right, Vault Dwellers, Wastelanders, it is time again for our end of the month patron episode. And this month I have, uh, well, we have eight patrons, one of which his phone died and someone else who couldn't make it tonight who we're going to edit in later in the episode. But for right now, for this discussion, we have six of our tier four patrons with me. And I think eight is a new record we've hit. And I'm super excited to talk to everybody because this week we are discussing our hopes, predictions, dreams, thoughts about what could potentially be done with a Fallout 5. And we know that that's probably a good number of years away still, but we wanted to kind of throw her own twist in there. And who knows if Bethesda is listening, if they get some ideas and, and one of these pitches actually becomes something that happens in the future. So with me this week, we have uh, coming back, Woman on Fire. Welcome back to the show. How's it going? Uh, pretty good. Good to be here again. Yeah, it's great to have you as, as usual. One of our longest time uh, patrons and I think longest time tier four patron too. You've been here for a long time now, so... I think Aperture might be ahead of me. Aperture, yeah, yeah. We always have this a little bit of a discussion <laughs> at the beginning because I always think about you guys having been here uh, very early you on. Got me um, beat by one uh, month. <laughs> yeah, and I, do, I do appreciate it. We are the OGs. The OG, the OG yeah. team, and um, Women on Fire is actually teaming up with Rich Robin this month. Rich, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello, and we'll find out just in a little bit what your guys' topic is, and um, you're kind of sharing a topic. And then also we have Soybean returning. Welcome back, Soybean. Hello, good to be here. Yeah, good to have you again. And then uh, Nunamur, welcome to the show. Yeah, so happy to be here. Love the show and happy to contribute. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what your topic is about and chatting with you about it. And then we also have True Dog returning as a guest, uh, filling in for uh, Ped, uh, Perdinal's Falls, I think is the way you pronounce it. But uh, welcome back, True Dog. How's it going? It's going good tonight. Awesome. Awesome. And then uh, bringing in the rear uh, with the tractor trailer, but not in a tractor trailer this week, uh, Aperture Flash. Welcome back. (laughs) How's it going? Good, buddies. Hey. Welcome, welcome. First time on a PC setup, so... I'm sorry. Official. Yeah, and you've upgraded <laughs> your headset and everything too. I have. It's been an incredible nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe um maybe we'll give people a glimpse of uh, some of the uh, pre-show uh, you trying to figure out how to hear us. <laughs> that was very entertaining. That that turns it into an after dark episode pretty quickly, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, lots of uh, muttering under your breath in um yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So awesome. um so yeah, so this week uh, we're talking Fallout 5 and what we would predict or what we think would be cool location and kind of the setting for something like a Fallout 5 game. And chances are we'll get that at some point as long as, you know, Bethesda's still around to make it, which fingers crossed, I'm hoping they are. And um, as as usual, uh, this show is recorded the last Sunday of 
the month. So if you are interested in joining us next month, we will probably have some conversation towards the end of this episode, maybe pitching some ideas about what we might want to talk about next month. So as always, anybody who subscribes on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash at a tier four or higher can jump in the conversation and join us next month. And so go check that out. There's a bunch of different tiers and I very much appreciate all of you and all of our patrons for supporting the show. So let's kick it off. Woman on fire, Rick Robin, you guys are starting us off this week with what location? What do you bring into the table? They're bringing in Fallout Seattle. Fallout, Fallout Seattle. Pacific Northwest, whichever uh, you prefer, how specific you want to be. <laughs> nice, nice. I, yeah, I was, uh, as we talked about these topics, I was going in my mind, kind of debating different locations. And that was one that popped up in my head as like, hmm, this would be interesting. So, so why are we going to Seattle for Fallout 5? I think there's so much going on in Seattle that fits beautifully with just the entire, uh, not just like the visual aesthetic, but just kind of the ideas that they like to present in a lot of the games. Um, and I think the first stop I kind of wanted to make was uh, Seattle Center, uh, which is a big, uh, I don't, I'm not sure how to, what to call it, but center in the middle of the city. And it was built uh-huh. for the 1962 World's Fair. And so much of it is... It has that that late 50s, early 60s, futuristic, but old vibe. Like retro that, future. Uh, what's that? Like a retro future kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, for it, I mean, you can start with the Space Needle itself, which to me just screams fallout. <laughs> but then you can move into the rest of the center uh, with the arches of the Pacific Science Center, um, the fountain, the monorail, all of this that just looks so beautiful. And it's like, I look at that and I just imagine a game with the main settlement being located in the Seattle Center and everything that's around there and then just kind of branching out from there. Okay. So I don't like uh, how... Like Bob a location Fallout aesthetic. Fallout 4 did with Diamond City. Say that again, uh, Rich. Go ahead. Kind of like how Fallout 4 did with Diamond City. Okay. I'm almost even imagining more Rivet City. Just, just huge. You know, there's so much there to explore. And there's just, there's so many buildings and opportunities uh, to place things in, in there. Mm-hmm. And it's like you wouldn't even have, have, have to Have you both been to Seattle? It. I live in Seattle. Well, I live just slightly so south of like, Seattle, but I work in Seattle. <clears throat> and I lived on Woodby Island for 20 years, which is literally, if I were to take a ferry ride from the south end of the island, I'd be like 30 miles from Seattle. Wow. Okay. So this is like backyard for both of you. That is why we teamed up. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, that makes sense. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, that's one of the things that's really cool. In fact, I had a conversation earlier on a secret thing that I'm working on people about um, some of the locations that have shown up in the Fallout games already. And um, many <laughs> foreshadow, you'll, you'll know more about this in a little while. Um, but uh, the people I was talking to, almost everybody I was in this conversation, were in places we're currently living in places where other fallout games had previously taken place and i've never been able to experience that because i've lived in florida my whole life and there isn't a florida fallout game i mean the miami model come out at some point but um 
Hmm. What's really cool about that perspective of it being in your own backyard is this idea that you have this intimate knowledge of that space. You know, not even, not just like the big locations, like everybody knows about the Space Needle, but I'm sure that there are probably some locations that you've probably driven past or been to and you were like, you know, it'd be really cool if this little diner was in it or if this little location, is there anything like that that kind of crossed either of your minds while thinking about this? There absolutely is. Um, I made a list of just like some of the local flavor things and jokes that I thought, because one of the things about Fallout 4 that I thought was really interesting, especially once I went to Boston and got to kind of learn more about it and talk to people from Boston, there are so many little tiny Boston in jokes that you probably wouldn't even get unless you're from Boston. And I look at Seattle and there's so many different things that you could play with from just the incredibly crappy traffic that we have. Um, <laughs> if, if, if weather is an option by that point, um, the fact that nobody in Seattle can manage or deal with snow, um, the whole coffee situation that goes on in Seattle, you know, there's a Starbucks mm-hmm. literally on every corner. I'm not joking. It really is true. Yeah. Do you think there'd be yep. like a Nuka-Cola coffee flavor version or something? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, I That's think about things idea. like uh, how... I don't even know how many years it's been, but we're still bitter about like a sports team leaving. And I feel like that could be something that was played with. Um, there's Dick's Drive-In. Speaking of, uh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of like little diners, like one of the big jokes in Seattle is eat a bag of dicks because you go to <laughs> the drive-in and you get a bag of burgers. So in Seattle, eat a bag of dicks is a nice thing to say to somebody. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I think of like, What's that? Yeah, go get a burger. <laughs> no, eat a bag of dicks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry if you have to censor that out. Um, <laughs> anybody from Seattle knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I think of like the Seattle Underground, which is a whole collection of tunnels underneath the city and what a fantastic like ghoul settlement that would make. Ooh, yeah. Um, we've got like the Fremont Troll, which is the troll under the bridge. And I feel like that could be done with some, you know, we could do something with that too. Like a um, super mutant that's like, his name is Troll or something. Yeah, me, troll. yeah. Me, me troll under a bridge. Yes, Same yes, me, yes. Me, Rich, me. did you have any of those like little lo- <laughs> local flavor things that kind of pop to your mind? Um, no, because I never really ventured into Seattle much whenever I was up there. I just drove through it. Because, okay, I've been through Seattle, but... I never really much pay attention because it's like going through a maze. Yeah, the highways and stuff. Right. It's it's uncoordinated but coordinated chaos to a degree where nobody knows where they're going, but they know exactly where. Like one of the things. Also makes oh, sorry, I thought you were cool. done. Sorry. Oh, sorry. It's it also makes it cool because there's a lot of different. With how the buildings are, it makes it. It's kind of hard to describe. Like there could be, like I think of super mutant hangout spots all along certain areas. Yeah, for sure. Of Seattle because of just how the buildings are, and it's like that would be a place for a super mutant stronghold. Cool. Yeah. And, you know, it makes me think of the early Fallout games and the super mutants in this area may have, you know, traveled north from some of the zones in the, the first Fallout or the second Fallout game, um, especially if you and did there's it, you know, so many buildings. 
Yeah. Enough time afterwards. Um, that's a really cool idea. Uh, would anybody else like to chime in? Has any, any of the rest of you been to Seattle and, and what do you think about this idea for a location? My biggest question is, uh, what would be the Starbucks equivalent and how would they feel about Solcom's Joe? Question. See, I was thinking in terms of like Microsoft, is that a competitor of Robco's or is it something that works with them? Because I was thinking about that along the same lines too, because that's such a huge thing here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Robco is all about like the, um, the robots themselves, but what about the actual software? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And then there's a lot of potential with it. Yeah. And you have Boeing and there's, um, this is something I was talking to Rich about earlier too. Um, like, cause we think we feel like in the Seattle area, you're going to have a really strong brotherhood of steel presence because you've got so much technology up here. And one of the questions is where would they hang out? What would their main bases be? Would they be on military bases? But then we also have all of these Boeing plants scattered across the whole Puget Sound region, all the way down from like the Tacoma area up to Everett. And those would all make fantastic bases too. Yeah. Yeah. Very then good. you got places like where I'm from, Whidbey Island. The only reason why I lived on Whidbey Island for years is my mom is now retired uh, Navy. So we were stationed on a uh, naval air station, Whidbey Island, which was, all they do is aviation and radar technology and electronic attack planes and stuff. Then you got four, uh, Joint Base Force Elizabeth which is an Air Force base and an Army base. And they're mainly about intelligence and technology, too. Yeah, that all of that makes a lot of sense. One of the other things I was pondering is if you could have another location where potentially the Chinese were more present. Have a in huge get, international district. Yeah, huge. in order to get a, kind of a glimpse more into mm-hmm. what China was doing that yeah. it would make sense for it to be on the West coast. Um, we've already looked at places in California, but somewhere like Seattle might make a lot of sense, especially Absolutely. because it's, it's kind of on the way up to Alaska. So maybe there were some conflicts along that, that coastline or there was a I, Chinese invasion that followed the bombs, but didn't get very far, but you have like the remnants. I do of- have to add yeah. something too, is that there was actually a canceled fallout game based on the Pacific Northwest. Was that the, um, what's the one? What is Fallout that Extreme. Oh, Fallout Extreme. I don't know about this It one. was canceled back in 2000. Huh. There's the one that was going to be Fallout 3 that was, uh, had the code name, uh, I forget the name of it. It's Kim Van Buren. Too. Van Buren, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if that's the same thing as what you're thinking of. No, mine, sure. mine's just, was, it says it was a, uh, this is just from the Fallout wiki, but it says it was a Fallout Extreme is a canceled squad-based first and third-person tactical game for the oh. Xbox and PlayStation 2 using the Unreal Engine and developed by Interplay's 14 Degrees East Division. It was in development for several months in 2000, but never had a concrete development team and had not been developed past concept. Gotcha. Yeah. So kind of like a Brotherhood of Steelish kind of thing. Yeah. And it was based around Alaska, Oregon, and Washington. Cool. Well, really cool idea, guys. Anything else you want to wrap that up with? Any other final thoughts on that? I feel like uh, uh, 
the Seattle, because of all the military in the area um, and so much going on, I feel like it would be a real target to probably get kind of a direct hit. Although I think that would probably be maybe be directed at one of the bases. Um, yeah. And I, uh, one of the things I was Bremerton, thinking is, oh, sorry, go ahead. Bremerton is actually a submarine. And is where they actually dock and uh, uh, where they dock and repair aircraft carriers, uh, destroyers, all the uh, naval uh, ships, and then you got naval air station where where I'm from, where we have our, our planes. Those okay, would be cool. two big targets that they would have to get at. Yeah, I wonder if you could have like a whole like nuked coastline that used to have. Uh, military vehicles, planes, uh, watercraft, things like that. That's kind of like this nuked zone just on the edge of the city. I was even thinking of Tacoma for that. (laughs) Sorry, say that again, Rich? I have a feeling if my island got hit by a nuke, it would end up just... (laughs) Yeah, under the wave. (laughs) There's only three ways off the island. There's a bridge on the north end, a ferry on the middle, and then another ferry on the south end. We get yeah. hit by a nuke, we're kind of screwed. Yeah. One, one yeah. of the things I was thinking too is that it would be a real challenge. You could make it a real challenge for the player to actually just even get to Seattle. Because if you start them off on like the east side, uh, Seattle's not really only accessible by the two floating bridges. And there's just no way those two bridges are going to um, survive. So it's almost like an inside joke that they'd have to drive all the way or <laughs> run all the way down <laughs> to uh, uh, Renton like and then circle back up to get, you know, a la New Vegas and fight their huh. way through it it's like oh hey <laughs> i make that run every day <laughs> yeah i wonder if that would create like a um a zone that was somehow more separated from everything else kind of like the strip is in new vegas you have like yeah. a very different aesthetic to one very specific area because it's a little it's bit completely surrounded by water on all sides so yeah. i mean once the bridges are gone you'd have to come up the i5 corridor but if you like i say if you start out them off on the east side they're gonna have to fight their way to it Mm-hmm. Extremely, yeah, and there'll be nobody coming from the west side because all it is is just water. Yeah, right, right. Very cool. Uh, really cool idea, guys. Um, thank you for for sharing that. Um, let's move on to soybean. Soybean, welcome back. How's it going? Hello. Hello. So I'm gonna be doing uh, Fallout New York. Uh-huh. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Now that may be like a real consideration. I've heard a little bit of room being a possibility. I mean, yeah, it's early, but yeah. Um, from some of the research I was doing and mentions of New York and Fallout before, um, people had mentioned um, that Fallout Four, one of the locations that they were considering was New York, but uh they decided to go with Boston instead. So they have probably a good amount of ideas left from the New York considerations, and it's definitely a contender. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Aperture Flash posted this in the chat. Are you thinking it's just the city? Like, and I'm, it's quite just a large city, city, right? Yeah, yeah, just the city. So what kinds of things or what locations as you've thought through this would be some of the key components to making the most, because I mean, there's a lot to New York and I'm sure it would be very difficult to do everything, but you could definitely do a lot of the highlights. Yes. Um, 
I was thinking they could do something uh, where they tend to kind of condense things a lot to try to just get the key points of what makes that area like stand out. Mm -hmm. So uh, some of the stuff I was looking at, um, I was like for background, I had previously been thinking of a um, fallout pen and paper campaign. And I wanted to do it set in New York. So I'd had some ideas uh, beforehand, such as uh, one of the key components is you're working with um, the Lions Brotherhood of Steel, who branched away from uh, the Brotherhood once Maxon took over and they didn't like where it was going compared to when it was under the Lions guidelines. and they had split up during the uh, flight of the Pridwin going from the Capital Wasteland to Boston because you would have to fly over New York anyway, pretty much. Yeah, interesting. So uh, the idea is they probably uh, took a vertebrate out and kind of settled in New York, maybe pretending to have gotten lost in there or killed or something, and then just setting up and trying to separate themselves following the lion's ideals. That's a, that's a really cool idea and definitely a location that, um, let's say 200 years in the future, you, most of the cities are all bombed out. Right. But how would, if you were part of the brotherhood at that point, how would you not go to somewhere like New York where there's, even if it was significantly bombed, which it almost most definitely would have been, there's, a lot underground. There are so many buildings. The potential to come across useful materials would be pretty significant. You would want to check it out. Yes. Uh, the idea behind it was that they would also set up on Ellis Island and take on a lot of the ideals of, oh, we, we need to have uh, diversity and um, ingenuity and like try to go back to sort of pre-war ideals by looking at the records of Ellis Island and probably seeing to a point also the decline as we see that um, like toward the beginning of the Great War you know I'm sure there was a lot of xenophobia going on, you know, yeah. immigrants were looked at pretty poorly as we see, you know, and today and before pretty much any war throughout our history, someone is always taking the blame. Right. And so, uh, part of the goal with, uh, fallout five in like my little storyline is, uh, there's a, vault that is built under the UN that is very similar to Vault 15 in Fallout 1, where it's a bunch of diverse uh, backgrounded people from different races, cultures, and religions. And they want to get those people out and learn from them and basically try to teach them the way they are, uh, the way the Lions Brotherhood uh, thinks of themselves and potentially learn new things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, Uh, that sounds really cool. Uh, It makes sense to have a, uh, I mean, you would naturally have a diversity of people at the UN building. Yes. uh, Even though um, 
In the Fallout Bible, one of the things that is mentioned is that the UN had disbanded shortly before the Great War due to all the uh, clashing. Right. But, you know, as with a lot of these things, um, oftentimes when some with an organization like that, when it is disbanded, there are remnants of people who were part of that organization or who still believed in that organization yeah, who would have been working to try to uh, reinstate it. Or, um, you know, like there's probably the remnants of that. And those people, if they were anywhere, would be in a place like New York, still trying to do their work in spite of the sanctions and the things against them. Um, so you could totally build out a, a storyline of uh, like those people who remained or who had not yet left and yeah. were trapped due to the bombs, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and then... I was also considering on the opposite end where the lions would be like the lawful good aligned faction. I would have a lawful evil and those would be the remnants of the Italian mafia that is within New York. Oh, that's good. And so going into all the like underground and subway stuff under New York, the idea is that uh, the mafia had commissioned their own private vault to be built, um, potentially my, my thought process, under the uh, nuclear power plant of New York. That way <laughs> I can also justify um, nu uh, nuclear waste leaking into their vault and ghoulifying them. Oh, because man. I love this line I had wrote down let me let me look at it here. Oh, yes, now the men who control New York pre-war wish to do so again. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the same um, mob bosses, the same big families that were before the war and basically believe like we were the first owners, we will continue to own them. Right. And they, I'm, I'm sure they talk like awesome, you know, New York mobster types uh, from like old movies, except Gulafon. Yes, exactly. So they scratch here in their voices. Hey, yeah. Tony, yeah. <laughs> Tony, hey, get me Tony. the Gatling gun. <laughs> <laughs> we got to We got to take this fellas out, Tony. Yeah. Um, so I definitely want to play around with that a lot more. And then I want to do a third faction that was the neutral kind of like wild card faction. Mm -hmm. And going off of my favorite thing about Fallout, which is the greaser gangs. And they would be the sewer rats. Awesome. <laughs> and so they would be, you know, taking over the subways and the um, other sewer tunnels and controlling that area so you need to stay kind of in good um good relations with them if you want to use the tunnels under there and they're right. very much anti-authoritarian even uh not necessarily leaning toward the good or the bad like a true neutral just doing what they can go by yeah that makes sense and i can imagine with all the wreckage of, of the just masses of buildings above the city um that they would come into a significant amount of power managing and owning the under which would be where a lot of people would have taken refuge and survived and and needed to transit across different parts of the city yeah uh, so, oh go ahead 
I was going to say just uh, some locations that uh, jumped out at me that I would love to see would be the uh, Javits Center, which is where New York Comic Con is held. And it would be great to see some stuff done with the hubris comics lore and the unstoppables thrown in. Like, like they're in the trap, middle of the convention and, it, and, yeah. Yeah. and it's like left up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. So that would be your way of like, since Fallout 4, getting the outfits of the unstoppables. So you go in, you get some like cosplayers put together kind and maybe some <laughs> of the like prop weapons. Right. And some of them are just like, there's like the legit outfits, but then there's like the really poorly made yeah. like cosplay ones. Oh, that would be yeah. great. Um, I also wanted to do something with Greenwich uh, Village, which is the notoriously like gay part of New York where uh, Pride is running through. Mm-hmm. And yeah, very artsy. Yeah, um, artsy. Like cultural kind of, yeah, very liberal accepting that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted them to have a tie with the mafia uh, faction only because historically the mafia have kind of always helped out the gay community before the general public did in like the 50s when gay bars were being taken down by police. The gay bars that were run by the mafia would protect them because it was like, we don't care whatever you're doing right. as long as you are business. paying and, you know, behaving within our bar. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Um, the, the one other thing that pops in my head is uh, Central Park. What do you do with Central Park? Have you thought about that? I was thinking um, it could be something probably a hippie kind of settlement i love doing different stereotypes (laughs) and so you could have probably like a garden yeah uh after throwing out farm in there so like a big garden area maybe like greenhouses and like almost like a farmer's market type setup and that might be more aligned toward the lines group yeah that makes sense You'd have to have farming somewhere and that would, that would be prime real estate with all the rubble and buildings covering the rest of Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, you good for, if we open this up to everyone else. Oh yeah. So I would love to hear others thoughts. All right. Anybody else, if you guys have any other thoughts on, on what you would do with this location, go ahead and chime in. So, uh, just, to, um, contribute there, uh, I live in Boston, so I live uh, very close to New York. I spent a lot of time in New York City. I would love to see. Obviously, I'm happy with the way Fallout 4 went, being in my hometown. But I was thinking, you know, especially with the vast subway system, obviously New York itself is so big, but the subway system itself would almost be like a second city underground because there'd be so much space in there that could have been used to create settlements, create uh, almost underground cities, like I was saying. And I was almost thinking there could be a quest of a group trying to rerun a new train and trying to mm. get some of the subway running again to, you know, transport supplies, to uh, bring people, you know, from place to place, transport people, whatever the case may be, and just everything that could be involved with trying to clear out space and get the trains running again. But even just the idea of it, being like a whole network 
underground of survivors, you know, trying to eke out a meager existence underground. It's funny that you mentioned that because um, New York is actually notorious for having a whole society of uh, actually homeless people living in abandoned subway tunnels and service tunnels that uh, they set up whole, like, I don't want to use the word village, but they set up whole camps and they survive quite communities. Yeah. Yeah. Communities. They said they, they survive. I don't, again, not comfortably, but you know, they, they seek shelter from the storm. And uh, since they're so deep and so many of these abandoned tunnels are so old, they're not on most proper maps. They are left majorly alone to their own uh, devices. There've been a few reports of people going down there and, uh, you know, getting tours of these places. And it's like, it's like you said, it's a different city altogether. So yeah. Yeah. Whole nother world, whole nother community, just kind of hidden from everyone else. Yeah. I really liked listening to you talk about it. Soybean. It, it gave me a fallout three vibes, but with the, current technology and the you know faster load screens you'd be able to explore so much more and get that dark scary vibe and i think the oh, under- definitely be cool um i definitely was thinking a lot of fallout 3 and part of that kind of makes me um apprehensive just because i hated the underground areas of fallout 3 i would get lost so badly but um i think with having a group based out of it, like the sewer rats, uh, maybe having a companion system that they can guide you would also help and make it fun. But getting lost in the sewer systems and the subway systems was a big part of it too, though. Like uh, it's what made it so absolutely memorable, I would say. True. (laughs) Yeah. I enjoyed that part a lot in some random area and you'd be improperly leveled and you'd have to turn around and go back the way you came and, Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, anything else you want to wrap this up with, Soybean? Um. Uh, I guess the only other uh, location that I was very interested into was the uh, New York Public Library, which would, of course, be a big, um, like want for the Lions Group. And Mm. especially considering that the New York Public Library has the iconic, like, copper lions outside of them. Yeah. And and so. Yeah. I uh, I can imagine them establishing that as like a, like a base or a location uh, because of the iconography with the lions. And then also the idea of trying to pour through all of those old books if they remain anywhere or whatever technology the library had in it for information that would be useful to them. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds cool. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, thank you for, for bringing that. That sounds like a really cool idea. Um, now I want to go back to New York and and do a little bit more exploring and (laughs) visit some of these locations myself. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, Nunamur, you're next up, buddy. Uh, welcome to the show too. All right. Thank you. Again, glad to be here. Um, so I picked, uh, New Orleans, which, um, was rumored actually for quite a while that there was that it was even possibly even being worked on but going even further back it actually has some uh lore you know it's not canon but things aren't canon until they make them canon again as has been the case in many of the games sure because there was actually going to be fall of tactics too 
um, which they only canceled because Fallout Tactics, uh, their first one, did so poorly in sales. And uh, Fallout, Fallout Tactics 2 was actually, and in my notes I have, hey Tom, written because it was actually going to be in part, partially in Florida. Um, it was going to be in the Gulf Commonwealth, which uh, in the Fallout lore with the states all grouped into commonwealths included Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida. Yeah, and, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And in the original, in the plan rather for Fallout Tactics 2, it was going to be uh, partially about the brother, the Midwest Brotherhood of Steel uh, making their way down there. Mm. And uh, the Midwest Brotherhood of Steel has always fascinated me because they are very, very much a contradiction where they are more open, where they actually will accept non-humans into their ranks. But at the same time, they're also much more militaristic, much more vicious. I've seen a lot of fans actually compare them to a, say they're like the Legion with power armor. Um, so yeah, that, sounds, that sounds pretty intimidating. Yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually, I really like the Brotherhood of Steel, despite being someone who loves ghouls in most of the games. Uh, so in my kind of envisioning of New, Ve or New, yeah, New Vegas, New Orleans, that um, new New Orleans, <laughs> new New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the Midwest Brotherhood of Steel coming in would actually be more similar to the Legion where they would be sort of the evil choice in the game. Siding with them would actually uh, lead you down the darker path. Uh, so the way I kind of thought about this game was I thought about it very much in terms of New Vegas, which is why I was slipping up saying New Vegas before, <laughs> where it's very focused on factions and siding with the different factions. So I thought about the culture of uh, New, uh, New Orleans. I'm going to keep doing that. Um, and I had the pleasure of going to uh, New Orleans and I loved it. It was just such a such an amazing culture, such an amazing place. And uh, the different areas you can go to in New Orleans are like completely different cultures onto themselves. So I thought about the French Quarter to start with and how they would in sort of like Diamond City in Boston, how they have this vision of baseball as this gladiatorial sport. They have no understanding of what it actually was. <laughs> uh -huh. So my idea was that the French Quarter, the, the faction would be called the French and mm -hmm. that they've built walls. I around. hope they have like really bad Pepe Le Pew accents. Well, no, because that's actually going to come up <laughs> later with the Cajuns, which is a different faction. Ah, but, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the French are, are uh, they would be kind of the standard human faction. Uh, and they're obsessed with Mardi Gras as a cultural, as part of their culture. They dress in fancy costumes. They wear big headdress. They wear, you know, crazy um, ornament, you know, costumes, ornate costumes. And uh, something I loved about New Vegas was how there were uh, multiple different types of currencies. So my idea is that the French would accept caps. Most places would accept caps, but that they would also accept beads as currency as mm -hmm. they don't understand what the beads were actually used for during Mardi Gras. They consider right. them a thing of value. So you can actually barter and trade using beads. And that there might even be little mini quests where you go around and find unique beads and find them hidden around the French Quarter. 
The other thing about the French Quarter too is just the architecture itself oh, yeah. would just be so different in a Fallout game. It would just really, you know, be something new. Um, but kind of taking a step back, kind of more into like the plot idea I had for it was I was thinking about starting off in a vault and how it's kind of been a very similar thing with a lot of the games starting growing up in the vault and all that. So I thought about how could we make a vault a little different? So um, pardon my French, but uh, Lake Pontonchon is the uh, giant lake near New New Orleans. And going across that lake is the longest bridge over water, water in the world. Oh, wow. And it's actually the longest, I should say, the longest continuous bridge because there's actually a longer bridge in China, but it's not a continuous bridge, so it doesn't count. So it's, <laughs> and when you go across that, if you drive across that bridge, it is so scary. It's so intimidating. You feel like you're just driving right into the ocean. That's how big the lake feels. So my idea was that there'd be an underwater vault, that the vault would be somewhere right in the center of the lake. And that originally that it was a control vault and, but there was a sub experiment to it as well, where they were experimenting with under underwater life, growing vegetables, growing food underwater, different things like that. Yeah. Hydroponics and and exactly. Yeah. Sure. And that the idea is that it would be connected through a tube, through a, through a pipe that would connect to the surface, but that in the course of events after the, after the great war, that pipe got broke. So they got disconnected. They were never able to unlock the vault. They were never able to get out. But that something that they had was a prototype power armor that was actually an underwater jet power armor. So similar to how we have the jet packs in Fallout 4, mm-hmm. it would be for, because when you use power armor underwater, you're just walking along the floor of the water. But my idea was this would actually allow you to through the water or to allow you to essentially swim. Yeah. And uh, that would open up a whole new aspect of gameplay where you could actually fight underwater. There'd be underwater sea creatures because they have um, bull sharks uh, down there. So my idea was that the bull sharks would essentially be the death claws of the water. Right. Right. And I can imagine them mutated and huge and vicious. And very scary. Yeah. <laughs> Super scary. Yeah. Um, and part of part of also the gameplay I was thinking is that there's obviously we know from uh, Hurricane Katrina and various other flooding situations that have happened down there that flooding could be something almost similar to a rad storm where you could be in an area and all of a sudden maybe you get a notification on your pit boy that there's a big wave coming in and that you could be in an area and then suddenly it could flood. So you'd have to take out your power armor, you'd have to hop in and have to swim around. And then all of a sudden that area changes from maybe a lower level area to a higher level area where now you're fighting underwater uh, sea creatures. Right. Um, Right. Or if you don't have the power armor, you still have to swim, but maybe it helps you get up to higher locations that you couldn't have reached because the water level was low. Yeah. Or try to find some way underground or in some sort of tunnels or something like that just to escape the water. Um, Yeah. And so my idea was that in that vault, there was a large armory because it was a control vault. They were planning on releasing people back out into the wasteland. So there's a huge untapped armory and that you, through a course of events, take a prototype power armor, escape the vault or leave. And my idea for the main plot of the game was actually a super mutant civil war. 
Um, yeah. So the idea here is that they're actually fighting over Baton Rouge and that there are two factions of super mutants. One is the standard evil super mutant. And the other is, uh, essentially Jacobstown missionaries that have made their way across the ways, trying to establish good, quote unquote, good super mutant, um, cities and, and settlements. Uh-huh. And that they're actually fighting. The two of them are fighting. And that the main story of the game is you have to choose what factions to side with in the super mutant war. So if you side with right. Brotherhood of Steel, you're going to be killing all, all the super mutants. If yeah. you side with the local people, you might side with some of the uh, Jacobstown super mutants to try to bring peace between the different factions and allowing the Jacobstown super mutants to... Um, to take over Baton Rouge and create a super mutant city. Um, but real quick, back to the factions, though. Um, so the French was are in the French Quarter. So then we get to uh, the Cajuns, which in this case, I think that just because Follett has a way of like taking different names and using older names, that they would be called the Acadians. Because that's actually a word that was used to describe Cajuns. That's sometimes what they're called. Mm-hmm. So rather than being called Cajun, they would be called Acadians. And the thing about Cajun culture is that they're very, uh, they live off the land, they're hunters, they, you know, respect nature and stuff. And they're also heavily um, prejudiced against. There's a lot of tension between people who live in New Orleans and people that live in the bio. So yeah. my idea was that the bio would essentially be it would be called Arcadia, Arcadia, and that it would be almost like the great, uh, the glowing sea of all at four, except it'd be all water and swamp and uh, super, you know, mutated gators and all kinds of intense enemies out there. But that the, C- the Cajun people have actually uh, developed vehicles to get around. So if this is a next gen game, maybe yeah. you could get some sort of water hovercraft. Yeah, airboats, like things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that if you side with the Acadians, they could actually militarize some of their vehicles to help fight in the super mutant civil war. Right. Um, but right. one of the coolest things about New Orleans are the cemeteries, which yes. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of what the cemeteries yes. look like. The Yeah, the, um, uh, the what are they called? The big structures uh, mausoleums the mausoleums and yeah all the etchings and artwork and all the stuff yeah very cool yeah and they look like cities they are so massive these cemeteries are so massive that they look like cities unto themselves so that was my idea is that there would essentially be a ghoul nation that the there's ghouls that have organized they live in these mausoleums. They've turned them into homes and shops and et cetera. So similar to how we had Necropolis, this would mm-hmm. be, you know, Necropolis literally means city of the dead. Yeah. But these uh, cemeteries would just, where the main cemetery would be called just the city of the dead. And that uh, they would, and again, going with the whole thing of uh, currency, that they would accept pre-war money, being ghouls, being pre-war people, they accept caps uh, like everybody else, but they also accept pre-war money as actual currency. Yeah, almost like they they are the only ones who are actually taking pre-war society and trying to carry it forward. Exactly. But exactly. they don't look human because they're cool. Yeah. <laughs> and they live in a giant citywide, you know, cemetery too, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, so kind of the idea here is, you know, you get to 
you could, if you're kind of going the good route of trying to bring peace between all these different factions, they obviously would have a lot of tension between them, whether it's the French being the standard human faction, you have the the Acadians being, you know, the hunters and people living off the land who have prejudice, you know, the the French are heavily prejudiced prejudice against them. And I'm guessing that the Cajuns would not like that the people in the French quarter are calling themselves the French. <laughs> that would right. bring a certain amount of tension as well. Um, but then also the ghouls. And so my, I just have this vision in my head of like similar to the Battle of Hoover Dam, that you have this giant battle at the end where you've put together an army made up of Cajun people, standard human, you know, faction, and then ghouls actually fighting like in a war alongside good super mutants. So you have like this like, Benetton nation of you know uh-huh. different people all banding together and what that would and if you go that route you'd have to not only fight against the super mutants you'd also have to fight against the Brotherhood of Steel so it could be right. this you know giant giant like almost war at the end um and then the the last little thing um about this is that the um New Orleans is famous for being one of the most haunted cities Mm-hmm. And having a lot of connections with supernatural things and the occult. And th- yeah, I was going to ask like you about like voodoo even. Could we mm-hmm. even work into this some? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I thought about that. And, you know, there's always been a little undercurrent, never fully served, but a little bit of an undercurrent of supernatural storylines in the Fallout games. Like, for, in- for instance, the Dumbwitch building in Fallout 3. Mm-hmm. There have been ghosts in both Fallout 2 and Nuka World. There have been vampires in Fallout 3. And so, um, and we know that there is a supernatural, like something supernatural or extra dimensional happening in Fallout. Because, yeah, Ed, somebody, uh, Woman on Fire just mentioned in chat, Point Pleasant, um, right. where you can actually get the book, um, Kriv Bekna. And when you bring this book, to the basement of Dumwich, uh, the Dumwich building, and you place the book on the obelisk, it actually, it actually, uh, oh, actually, True Dog said it first. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, uh, the book actually catches on fire. So there's definitely something supernatural going on in the Fallout world. Yeah. So and, I, and, and there's also some very uh, Cthulhu esque type influences exactly especially with Dumwich, you know mm-hmm. name dropping itself you know is is yep. is yep. um yeah and and uh new orleans and, and the swamps feature pretty prominently in some of uh his works as well exactly um, yeah so, so my idea is that there could be maybe even like a, a group like a cultist group that uh worship that that deity or that extra dimensional being and that they could be sort of a hostile group that you have to come across uh, and, you know, try to make peace with them or try to fight them or whatever the case may be. And that they may be the primary antagonists going against the Cajun people where they're maybe out in the, in the bio, in the swamps. And, you know, that, that would kind of, uh, almost be a little bit, of, get a little bit of Elder Scrolls in our, uh, <laughs> in our followed experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one last thing is the, uh, the jazz. Because music yes. has always been a huge part of Fallout. And I would love it if we had uh, maybe two different radio stations, one being more like Dixieland style jazz. Maybe yeah, some- very old hot jazz. Yeah, exactly. And maybe another station that's blues. Because uh, one time I, I downloaded a, a mod that added a blues channel into New Vegas. 
And listening to the blues while playing a Fallout game changes the experience completely. Yeah. It makes it much more dark and depressing. Yeah, and really old blues. Like exactly the really old stuff that um, you know, like that tinny sounding recording with just the old guy on his guitar just kind of strumming away, talking about all his problems. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And New Orleans blues itself has its origins in the 40s and 50s. Right. So it would, it would definitely match with the aesthetics of the game. And I would even love if they were NPC, like in uh, similar to Magnolia in Fallout 4, if there were an actual jazz band as NPCs uh-huh. that come across maybe in, in the French Quarter and they give you you know, side quests and that you can actually, and that affects what you hear on the radio, maybe a little bit more original music too. Cause I did like that Magnolia had those, you know, original songs that fit in with the lore and things like that. I, I really think that would add a little bit of musical spice to the, uh, to the game, which if you're doing New Orleans, you have to give honor to the music. Absolutely. You know, the origin of the word jazz came from one of the first jazz bands who called themselves the New Orleans jazz band. Mm-hmm. And it used to be jazz instead of jazz. And at some point it turned into Z's instead of an S. Yeah. Um, or S's. Uh, yeah. So I, I, you could even like hearken back to that. They could be like the jazz band and people would call it jazz again, which would sound odd, but close enough that people would know what they're talking about. Oh yeah. I didn't even think it. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Cause they wouldn't, they wouldn't know, you know, they see the words and they just say it the way they see it, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool idea. Well, I'm sure uh, you're getting a lot of uh, positive reactions in our chat. Uh, any of you guys want to chime in on this one? Yeah, I really think this guy should have gone last because uh, <laughs> no one else can uh, live up to this now. Man, you like get Todd Howard on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Are you secretly Todd Howard? <laughs> it's, it's actually God Howard. Thank you very much. <laughs> but I will mention uh, with your underground vault, um, idea there that was actually a um that was being considered for fallout 4 that's uh it was hinted at uh with the uh game files for the harpoon launcher was in was in the original game files and it was uh kind of hinted that there was going to be an underground vault mission area where you know all that kind of happened so yeah you're you're right in line with the dev team but <laughs> Well, thank you for joining our episode, God Howard. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, my um, pleasure. I, I love Fallout, so I think yeah, true dog. I think true dog wanted to chime in with something else too. Yeah, the the levolution idea with the power armor suits letting you dive deeper into the uh, underwater city, as well as being able to swim. I, everything you said, yeah, we got to get Bethesda on the line and get you over there. But I, I think the levolution stuff really got me interested. That'd be so cool. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Levolution. Anybody else have any thoughts on this one? Well, with the under underwater stuff, um, do ghouls need air to live? Could there be an underwater society of ghouls? You know, um, the exact details around the mortality of ghouls and what they require to survive is vague. Uh, there are some instances where they've been like stuck in like closets or whatever for decades and they've come out without food and survived. Um, I actually, I, I didn't talk about it cause it's a lot of things I actually didn't talk about, believe it or not. Yeah. I have a lot of notes, but, um, I actually, part of this, part of the plot I would like to see in something like a city of the dead would be actually going into that in depth where in order for a ghoul society to actually function like a normal society, they would have to deal with the possibility of turning feral. So they would have to have some sort of system where they understand the biology of ghouls. And my idea is also that there would be other cemeteries that were failed cities so that you go to other cemeteries and they're actually filled with feral ghouls. But then you go to the city of the dead and they've got it locked down. They've got it all figured out. They know what it takes, you know, when you're going to turn feral, they kind of keep track of all that. So I would love it if a fall game actually went in depth into what ghoulification actually means. Yeah, that'd be cool. I just wanted to say that you had me at ghoul nation and I'm actually kind of pissed that this game doesn't already exist. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck Seattle. (laughs) Thanks, Rich. (laughs) All right. Anything else you want to add on that, uh, Nunamur? Before we move on? Yeah, no, I I went on quite a bit, but um, I would like just uh, two quick. So I'd love just a lot of different animals. So snakes, snapping turtles, gators. But I was also, I I don't know about you, but pelicans scare the crap out of me. So weird. Yeah, some sort of weird, monstrous pelican. But I was also thinking crawfish are a big thing down there. Mm. But so it'd be like a Mirelurk hunter, except it'd be smaller and they'd come in swarms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they climb all over you and then you have to shake them off. Exactly. And then the last thing would be armadillos. Um, and I picture an armadillo kind of similar to a mega sloth where if you don't mess with them, they don't mess with you. But if you get too close to them or you mess with them, you're in for a world of hurt because they have that built in armor. Mm. Yeah, they could be like super armored. Because of the mutations and stuff. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you. That, that super cool idea. Thanks for bringing that. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right, your dog. You got to follow up on that one. What are we, 
what are we talking about with yours? What are you bringing? Okay. Well, I know that fall he's like, he's like, well, I was thinking new Orleans and here, let me explain why. <laughs> I can do it better than Nomer. Yeah. So you, <laughs> what you could have done there. Um, <laughs> no, I was actually thinking of leaving the continental U S and going to Japan. Um, I know that fallout is typically American stories on the American continent. Um, but you know, uh, what is it? 10 years ago when Fukushima, uh, dumped all that radioactive material into the water, there was a meme out that said the next fallout should be in Japan. And although that's kind of a low blow considering what they were dealing with right then, it has always kind of stuck with me that potential art style and the possibilities of what you'd be able to explore and learn once you got out of the American mainland. Um, <clears throat> And we have a little bit okay. of evidence of it through that the games. There's, you know, swords um, and even some references to Japanese characters. The most well-known one being Toshiro Kogo, uh, that Japanese samurai found in the Fallout 3 Mothership Zeta edition. Um, but he's a 15th century Japanese samurai, so he didn't really experience what, you know, was going on uh, following World War II or what happened following the Great War itself. Um, that being said, I, I've never been to Japan. Um, I've, of course I've, you know, go on the internet and I look at things I'd like to see. Well, really what I jumped into is whether or not there's the possibility of, uh, Japan being a possible location for a fallout game. Like since we know so little about what happened to the rest of the world, would an island nation like Japan even have the capacity following a nuclear apocalypse like this, uh, to, would it even still be there? Um, and, you know, what evidence can we draw to, to kind of suss out or maybe even suppose what would happen? Um, yeah, well, it's a it's a very remote area that would be uh, separated because of, uh, you know, the ocean. And um, we don't have much of an example in Fallout of places that were uh, separated like that. And and as far as I know, there isn't a whole lot of detail as to if Japan was particularly active in the conflict, if they would have been targeted with any of the nukes, any of that, that kind of side of it. So you might end up with um, a technology or like a community with technology and those kinds of things uh, similar to the history of Japan in being that for most of their, uh, I don't know, modern history, they were separated from the rest of the world. It wasn't until about what the 1800s or something when they started really connecting back to the rest of the world and trying to catch up with everyone else. So you do kind of have that their own history is partly being separate. Right, Tom. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing you could play with. The isolation was definitely something that I considered when I was thinking about how this game would run. Um, but also hearkening back into what feudal Japan was like, or even, you know, feudal Japan is pre 1600s before they unified. Um, but then it's 200 years before they even started letting other nations into their ports and to start to trade and stuff. So that being said, I think we can make some speculation about whether or not Japan was bombed. We know that from the cutscene in Fallout 4, we dropped the bombs in uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And uh, we know that we diverge from the Fallout timeline somewhere in the early 1960s. And I'm kind of drawing reference from some of the songs and as well as some of the weapons. Uh, in New Vegas, you get access to the service rifle, which is patterned off to the arm 
Light 15, which was produced in 1959. So there's good evidence to show that um, that is when we diverge from the timeline. And from there, we moved into prosperity time for about 100 years before the failing of the UN and then the resource wars leading to uh, the Great War. And so right. uh, there's a lot of evidence to show that um, post-divergence from our timeline that Japan stayed a ally to America. I think it'd be silly for America to leave a military post. You know, we know that uh, as America is so involved with Japanese military and foreign policy, we have bases all over the island. And yeah, just off the coast of China, who would have been their primary concern? Direct enemy. So yeah. it would be a tactical mistake to give up an island like that. Um, and as well as a jumping point for China to move into Anchorage when it finally happened. So I could see a lot of fighting happening in Japan, even before the bombs were dropped, as it went back and forth between Chinese and American hands trying to use it as a platform for their own war. Even as a jumping point for the first uh, landfall when America uses T-45s when they land in China. Um, yeah. Do you think that parts of Japan may have been compromised to the Chinese and that you may have even had, uh, I don't know, rebellious or uh, factions of Japanese who were against uh, being taken over? Like you could even have some of that kind of history involved? Yeah. Well, I mean, we know the relationship with China and Japan has been strained um, ever since World War II. China declares that Japan committed, uh, what are they called, atrocities of war when they came in. Uh, mm -hmm. So that might be some of the heat that would lead to China wanting to get revenge in 2052 when the resource wars started. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You could have uh, different islands being controlled by the remains of what were American or Chinese uh, groups who were fighting over for control of the island in order to have, you know, strategic advantage in the war. Um, you could have some of the islands that maintained Japanese control and that quite captured by the Chinese or the Americans. Um, yeah, there could be a whole lot of dynamics you could have in there. And then I also wondered what vault Tech was doing this whole time. I mean, I, I'm sure if I dug into it deep enough, there's some evidence that vault Tech was an American corporation and they didn't leave American shores. But with so many U.S. Um, citizens and military personnel in Japan, I think it's OK to speculate that potentially some vaults may have been built there to protect the American citizens on Japan. Or even some of these bases were hardened adequately to resist a nuclear strike. and so. Um, there's the possibility that you could have an American society living in a vault on Japan that opens up after the all clear is and, uh, you know, announced and they're able to come out and explore Japan. And yeah, I think or Japan went uh, technology the way they do in our timeline and became kind of a technological partner with the U.S. and therefore may have been working with somebody like Vault Tech behind the scenes. Right. Yeah, room for, for the for the intertwining of these threads and, and i think that's where the gray area of this is so appealing to me is that you can a uh, uh, gray area is a writer's best dream you can do whatever you want there and so for a game developer or a writer uh they could just run with that so hard uh, as well as the um the i mean really the only place on the planet that has experienced fallout like we see in the game is japan it's really the only place we've had 
aggressive nuclear detonation. So Japan has this unique history with radiation and uh, nuclear history as well. So it almost harkens back to, uh, it makes sense to me to send it there. Yeah, very interesting. Well, let's open this up to everyone else. Does anybody else have any, any thoughts about a fallout Japan? What that might be like? Also, um, like the other thing I always think about with these stuff, and we've discussed it with some of the other uh, topics is uh, locations and stuff like that. Uh, Nunamur, did you have something? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Japanese culture. So this, you're talking right up my alley on this one. Um, it's just a kind of a side note. Um, surprisingly, Fallout is pretty popular in Japan. And when Fallout 3 came out, uh, the character of Moira became like, there. there was all this fan art of her being drawn in like anime style as like a cute anime girl. <laughs> it's just, it's just kind of fascinating that they latched onto her as a character so much. Um, and it's um, despite the content, you know, having so much to do with atomic war and literally an idealized version of the America that dropped two atomic bombs on Japan. It was a, was a pretty big hit. And, um, the only thing they changed, I don't know if anyone's familiar with this, but Fallout 3 was partially censored in Japan where they removed Mr. Burke uh, from Fallout 3 so that you cannot complete the option the option of blowing up Megaton. Mm. I did hear about that. Um, and I guess it was for reasons of sensitivity um, associated with, yeah, the bombing you know, in World War II. Makes sense. Some of the locations so, too are really cool. There, uh, of course, there's Mount Kobe or Mount Fuji, uh, Kobe Port. There's also the I'm gonna butcher this, but the Jigo Kudani Monkey Park. I could see some uh, uh, radiated monkeys becoming enemies. But then there are also the Tokyo Sky Tree, which is like the Seattle um, spire, and uh, Shubaya Crossing, which is like one of the most uh, busy crossing spots on the planet as far as pedestrian traffic goes and as iconic um there's also a lot of uh neon and colorful lights in downtown areas Osaka, the, it's the dotanbori district uh yeah. right right very cool what about the like temples and stuff that, that could even be another part of it Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of those. Um, the Himiji, I'm butchering these names. Himiji Castle is one of the longest lasting feudal castles in Japan, as well as there's the Suicide Forest that's full of various temples and relics there that could have some mm -hmm. very cool um, cryptids. And as well yeah. as allowing those that isolation to develop some really cool character models for the monsters and the enemies and uh, using the cryptids that are built into the mythology of Japan already. Um, True. Yeah. I mean, even thought about maybe like a, an Easter egg where you fight Godzilla or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Aperture, did you, you have something to add? Yeah, I was just wondering how you would uh, handle the, uh, the language difference. You said that it might start out in a American uh, vault, but... Um, would it just be kind of assumed that the character speaks Japanese, so the game is automatically translated for the viewer, or would it be like the game is impossible with a without a high enough intelligence to speak Japanese or <laughs> everything you know? is Japanese to you unless yeah. you speak Japanese. 
yeah it's like it's like a perk that you, you know your first time playing the game you, you take it and if you don't take it you haven't got the slightest clue what's going on <laughs> right you slowly learn words over time and then they start <laughs> translating in the text <laughs> about that uh i thought there could be a cool mechanic you might add to it kind of going along with japanese technology but Say there was an earpiece that hooked into your Pip-Boy, so as you left, it translated various languages. Uh, and part of the game mechanic was finding various ships or cars that would allow you to broaden who you can talk to and who you can work with. So um, good. my idea was that the whole island of Japan would be accessible as like a sandbox-style game. Some parts, parts and factions would be um, impossible to communicate with until you acquired the technology to allow you to talk to them and understand them. Yeah, very cool. Cool ideas. Anything you want to wrap this up with? Oh, Any other just last minute stuff? One quick little thing in there. Oh yeah, go for um, it. Just it's really interesting because it post um, atomic bombing of Japan, post World War to Japan, America put all kinds of restrictions on their culture, preventing them from speaking about the atomic bombs, preventing them from making any like movies or, you know, books or anything, even like talk about it. So I almost could imagine a fallout. Uh, in the fallout world where America is so much more totalitarian, where they might actually enforce English as a language in Japan, where post-World War II Japan is so um, domineered. Yeah, yeah, it's so domineered by America that people actually don't even speak Japanese, almost like it's like forbidden or something like that. That actually would, would make a lot of sense in the fallout world. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that number, but yeah, that, that seems like that would work in really well too. Oh, and as final point, they need to add bows and arrows to fallout games and they would bring sense. them back for, well, yeah, if it's based on a Mad Max kind of theme that I've always been surprised there's less, you know, simple projectile weapons and stuff, but, oh, and, and of yeah, course, many, the- many cultures evolved, uh, spears and some sort of way to propel them. Um, you know, arrows, uh, whatever the other words are for the different kinds of things that people have used to basically throw or shoot spears at things. Um, so it would make sense that in a, in a society that was kind of gone back to the stone age, that that would be something that people would stop, start making again. Yeah. Very cool. cool. Okay. Awesome. Well, I mean, I also, Japan has a pretty strict, um, gun policy there. So the average citizen isn't armed like an American. I think it'd be safe to say that you know, America was still allies with Japan. Uh, a lot of military tech would be left there. So I think that mixture of West tech armor and laser weapons while having feudal Japanese factions fighting is, oh God, so cool. Yeah, very cool idea. Well, thanks for bringing that, True Dog. Thanks. All right, we're moving on. It's time for Aperture Flash. You're bringing in the caboose. <laughs> and this, is, one. this has been a crazy episode and uh, I'm terrified to close it out because I don't think I can compete. But uh, I'm taking us all north of the border tonight to um, the true north strong and free that is Canada. <laughs> <laughs> now, specifically, I'm thinking that an ideal location for Fallout 5 would be the province of Ontario. Um, it is, <laughs> it is um, home to the nation's capital. Uh, Ottawa, and the province's capital, Toronto, which is one of Canada's biggest population centers. And um, 
it's actually been mentioned in a previous Fallout game, uh, in one of the DLCs at least, as the town of Ronto having a strong military, um, being a strong military force even in this post-war society. And I did a little research on that, and uh, Toronto is actually home to quite a few armories and uh, training training centers, not not just military bases and uh, you know places for naval ships to dock and uh, airports, but we also have like the Moss Park Armory, which has over six hundred uh, soldiers training there a week. Um, mm-hmm. Which is right in downtown Toronto. I, I don't know where they put them all, but uh, <laughs> I guess it happens. And since um, since America has come in, as, as we discussed last week, America's come in and taken over Canada. It would be mo- I feel like the Brotherhood would have a pretty big um, presence in Toronto. What with the the armory and just all the tech that city has. Um, in fact, actually, the survivalist rifle, it is canon that the survivalist rifle was produced a Long Branch Armory, which is also in Toronto, uh, which was a very large producer of the, uh, I think it was the, the, Enf- the Lee Enfield, Enfield rifle. Yeah, um, Enfield, the Lee Enfield. Yeah. I- I'm Canadian. I don't know how to say gun names. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but it also is home to Ottawa, which is our nation's capital. It has our parliament building. It's, um, you know, it's a, it's a, I actually was born in Ottawa. And um, if Canada were to get nuked, it would likely, Ottawa and Toronto, and probably, I'd say Vancouver, would be the three biggest targets. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because there's such important population centers and i'm actually looking at the nuke map right now um the nuke map it's a uh, it's an application where um it shows how the fallout would react to wind patterns and water patterns oh, yeah, and all that yeah yeah, yeah i remember um, this yes i've seen yeah this. and uh they've dropped the nuke right on parliament uh <laughs> Near Carlton, near Carlton University, and near the Gatineau border, and uh, you know, Gatineau gets a pretty bad blast of radiation from <laughs> from this. But um, if for whatever reason the nuke didn't hit Parliament, I feel like it'd be a very interesting location um, for uh, a settlement or a faction to, to set up camp i mean in in the bones of the country's old it'd be like if the white house hadn't been destroyed in fallout 3 right mm-hmm. um i've always had this idea in my head of a of a canadian faction uh called the new canadian mounted police who use a fleet of restored uh lone wanderer motorcycles to patrol the areas between Ottawa, Ronto, and Kingstown along the 401, which, uh, you know, it's a blatant ripoff of the NCR, but there's uh, <laughs> a reason I don't work for Bethesda. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, with uh, America annexing 
um, annex in Canada, that there could be this this large subplot of, you know, kicking out the enclave, taking back Canada for, for uh, you know, the Canadians. Uh, the I, I could see some large subplot with a French faction who, you know, unless you have a high enough intelligence score to speak French, they won't uh, interact with you because, you know, for a while there, Quebecers, I don't know how many of you have been to Quebec, but if they know you're Canadian and you don't speak French, they don't have time for you. They're very uppity about that. Mm. So uh, we have the uh, lone wanderer here who coming in and uh he does not speak french so we have to speak english to him so we do not like him very much uh Uh i am am french even though i am not in france (laughs) um i'm sorry whenever i talk about canada i have to get in a job at uh, quebec (laughs) (laughs) you americans with your english accents (laughs) (laughs) but i would also like to talk about uh canada's existing vault I don't oh. know if any of you have ever heard of the Diefenbunker, but it is... Um, that sounds German. The Diefenbunker. <laughs> it does sound very German. Um, woman Fire, I've been to Quebec once. My apologies, uh, Woman on Fire. Quebec is uh, not fun. <laughs> um, Diefenbunker. It is Canada's most well-known decommissioned nuclear fallout shelter in the town of Carp, approximately 30 kilometers west of downtown Ottawa. Now, um, the public, for the longest time, the public didn't know about this place. It was built during the Cold War, um, and it was decommissioned in 1994. And in 1998, it was reopened as Canada's Cold War Museum. Hmm. Uh, It's a massive facility. It's, um, let's see, I got it ri- written down here. The original site, some 9.7 kilometers east of Almont, was abandoned when groundwater proved impossible to remove. So, so they decided to set up in an abandoned gravel pit outside of Carp, which is another small town in Ontario. Um, this shelter itself, it's, it's not quite, up to vault tech specs, but it's pretty close. It's um, 100,000 square feet. Uh, it's four stories deep. Uh, and it uh, has everything you'd expect from an underground shelter. So, you know, massive blast doors. Um, you know, it's own water for purification system. Uh, massive air filters. Living spaces. A space for the government to convene and kind of try and figure everything out after the bombs have dropped. Hmm. Um, Because, you know, we were all terrified of that during the Cold War. So I could see Voltec coming in and, well, this is a fair game now, so we're going to take over the Diefen Bunker. They've already started for us. Those kind Canadians have already started a vault for us, so we're going to pick up where they left off. We're going to turn it into a proper vault, get, uh, you know, a couple hundred uh, patriotic American citizens from New York and bring them up here, have them set up in the vault, and we'll give the Canadian citizens, uh, you know, custo- uh, custodial jobs or have them be test subjects. So I, I feel like there's 
I feel like there would. I don't want to use the word racism, but uh, I guess it'd be a sort of classist battle between the you know actual Americans versus the uh, Canadians that were you know given honorary American citizenship because of the annexation. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, a classist system. You know, you're part of yeah. this culture, so therefore you're part of this group, and so you're different from this group, and then you keep them separate. And yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. So I feel like the Diefenbunker would actually be a pretty good starting place um, for you. And you know, who knows where else uh, where else could, uh, things could be taking place? It could be um, pretty common chatter. Amongst, you know, did you hear about what just happened at Algonquin Park? A laser came out of space and leveled it, which is uh, what happened during Fallout 3's Mothership Zeta. If you choose to activate the ship's weapon, uh-huh. it takes out Algonquin National Park. Huh. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so. Yeah. This is, um, so this harkens back to some of the stuff that we talked about uh, on the extra episode we did. Um, when you couldn't make the last one. Um, now in that episode, we discussed the potential for there being so much open land up in Canada too, for people to evacuate the cities and to try to go survive in and then potentially migrate back into the city space later. Um, have you thought more about that idea and how that might play into the, the plot line of a story like this? In this area, it wouldn't be as, um, as big of a, a thing you could do because Ontario is so built up. Um, the further west and the further north you go, um, that that would be a big part of it. But probably the the best area for uninhabited spaces that aren't really affected by everything else, I would have to say, is the Thousand Islands region. And what that is is it's a area near the Canadian border between New York and Ontario. Where, as I said, there are thousands of islands, just small islands. Um, most of them are uninhabited. Some of them have like one cottage on them. And they're close enough together that with a, a, a small boat, you can access them easily. But uh, if there's something going on, they're remote enough that no one's really going to bother you. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably some of the ones closer to say border zones like Alex Bay or or up near Cornwall that'd be an issue but uh, in like the heart of the Thousand Islands which is actually close to where I live I don't think it would be um, I think you'd be able to have a bunch of small settlements popping up here and there of people who just you know kind of want to be left alone I hunt I fish uh, I make my own existence. Would you like to buy some slightly irradiated maple syrup I just made? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can have maple syrup vendors with Brahmin with big old caskets of maple <laughs> syrup wandering the wasteland. Have you ever tried Nuka-Cola maple? It's the newest trend. <laughs> <laughs> generously with real maple syrup generously provided by the our recently annexed neighbors up in Canada. <laughs> yeah, it could be like this uh, rarity because you have to go so far out of any irradiated pla- irradiated place to get like actual pure syrup, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Well, this is a cool idea. Let's open this up to everyone else. Guys, do you have any, any thoughts about Canada? In fact, how many of you been to Canada? Have you guys even been to Canada? I haven't. The most Northern I've gone is like Minnesota. I think. I've been there. 
I've always lived a ferry ride away from Canada, but never to, been to Canada. And then I've also been 60 miles away from the border in North Dakota and West Coast, oh, yeah. where our delivery just saying was if you throw a rock, it'll land in Canada. <laughs> I, I think I'm oh. sorry. I wanted to let Women on Fire respond to you real quick. I was going to say, um, living where I do, uh, Vancouver's just a th- stone's throw away. And uh, I mentioned I'd been to Quebec, and that was actually, it, it was kind of a weird situation how the whole thing happened. But I wound up actually taking a Greyhound bus all the way across from Vancouver to Quebec and then back down through uh, New York. Oh, man, my back. condolences. <laughs> no, it was quite a, it was quite a trip. <laughs> So, well, a lot of Canada through the window of a bus. <laughs> and, you know, that's 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 probably the best way to see Canada. Our highway system is so picturesque. And, uh, you know, if you can't make it, if you don't have a passport and you can't make it up to Canada, picture upstate New York with, um, you know, more cities. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's so funny, thoughts on on how this would play out i mean what, what do you think about a, a fallout canada um, i think there's a lot of merit to it i know there's a mod on and kind of hmm, there's a mod on fallout where you can change the uh survival situation to have snow as well as thermal elements to it is that mm-hmm. something you envisioned having in your game as well aperture oh man i've always thought that um one of the biggest reasons why they haven't included winter in any of the fallouts is um, that it, like, unless you have a proper outfit, you're going to die. So, like, I could see a, um, a health bar, sort of like how they did radiation in Fallout 4, but uh, cold. And if you, you spend too much time out in the cold without winterized armor or a proper sweater or boots or if you're wet it slowly starts to degrade your health you know you start to lose action points you start to lose endurance Uh, that's a really good point cold is a real enemy up here yeah yeah that's definitely a part of it like i mean even without uh, nuclear fallout it can reach minus 40 degrees celsius in, in most of canada <laughs> yeah that's crazy i have an uncle who lives in uh, alaska and i oh. uh, was talking with uh my son about temperature because it got kind of cold ish here it got down in like the below freezing believe it or not in florida Oh wow yeah for like a night and I was explaining to him, you know, like this is below freezing temperature. That means like if there's any water outside, then it could potentially freeze. What does that mean? What is the rest of the country like, you know, when it gets colder, you know, and I was explaining like you go as far north as say Alaska and it can get negative 30, negative 40 degrees, which is really freaking cold. And yep. you can toss water in the air and it will freeze before it's the ground. You know, that oh, that's, that's so much fun to do, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to use boiling water because it, it creates this massive cloud. Yeah, I've seen I've seen images online of people doing that, but you could never do that in Florida. It would just land on your head and you'd be cold. Actually, you'd probably <laughs> still be hot because it'd be boiling water. But <laughs> yeah, and you know, Tim Hortons would have a good uh, good rivalry with Sulcum Joe. So yeah, there you go. Can, there you can go. I 
is um kind of like what you were saying, Aperture, with the whole uh, the elements actually becoming a factor into the gameplay. That is that's like a lot like how Rockstar did theirs with Red Dead Redemption Two, where you have to wear the right clothing if it, if you're in snowy weather or your health bar is just going to end up draining. You're going to end up freezing to death. Yeah, you can get exactly. too hot in Red Dead Redemption 2 also, right? Yeah, you can get malnourished, you can get too fat, you can get your your horse can get malnourished and they can just eventually end up collapsing and dying. Oh jeez. Yeah, I need to go back and play more of that game. I only got so many hours in. Too many good games, guys. Too many good right? games and here we are wanting a Fallout because I mean, <laughs> sometimes you just love more some games more than others, but <laughs> <laughs> awesome well anything you want to wrap up your uh, fallout candidate with could, could i pop one real quick thing yeah. in just i just i had an idea too talking about the snow and, and stuff would be um with ice especially since aperture is a trucker i'm sure he <laughs> can relate to this wow. with the um power armor since power armor in modern fallout games has become more like a vehicle if you were in icy conditions and all of a sudden power armor becomes sort of hard to even maneuver in because you're sliding with those big huge feet and stomping along in ice and I, I i could just imagine you know snow would be one thing but if you're standing on ice and power armor and you just start drifting from side to side <laughs> that would sort of be an interesting mechanic you know like fingers on the pads of the feet that kind of melt through the ice so you can walk i i I'd agree with you on that but i think the biggest danger with with power armor in sub zero conditions is the power armor itself freezing up like yeah. imagine you're going down you know you're walking down the road in your power armor you're feeling unstoppable and all of a sudden it gets harder and harder and harder to walk you know what's going on okay i better eject wait a second why isn't my suit opening up <laughs> you know yeah I have a new nightmare now of being stuck in power armor. That's terrifying. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you try to get into some power armor that's been left outside and in the moisture and it's just like frozen over. Well, yeah, I mean, freezing rain is a real issue up here. It's, um, you know, I, I once had to, to spend like a good 10 minutes just to get into my car because the doors were so badly frozen from sitting for a week, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me of North Dakota. Everybody would always go into stores, but they leave their cars on because if you turn it off, go into the store and come out, even in five minutes, your car ain't going to start because it's too freaking cold. Because I think the coldest I, when I was there for the nine months I was there, was negative 25 degrees. And I was the guy in Job Corps who had his window open still during the blizzard. Uh oh. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> too cold. That's too like cold, guys. Cold. <laughs> <laughs> now, before before we hand this off to back to Tom, I want to mention two potential enemies for Fallout Five Canada. We have the Rad Moose, which <laughs> power armor power armor won't help you. I've I've heard stories of other truckers saying, you know, you hit a moose, and well. Your your truck is totaled. The moose is just pissed off. Which the moose are freaking big. They're massive. They're for so those, big. For for those of you who have not ever seen a moose, think of how big you think a moose is, and then double that. Yeah, I went on a ski trip uh, up into the mountains of I believe it was Colorado, 
mm-hmm. when I was a teenager and we spotted a moose like off the side of the ski trail that was just kind of like roaming through the trees. Right. And, and it was a good, I don't know, 40 feet away, but it definitely was bigger than you would have expected. It looked like it was closer than it was because it was so big. Uh, we were like, is that a, oh my God, that's a moose. <laughs> it was just, like, is that a bus sized moose? <laughs> oh yeah. Kinda. Oh yeah, bud. I was out, out for a rip in my power armor the other day, don't you know? And I hit patch of the black ice, so I start slipping and I'm losing my balance. And then there's this big hoser of a moose and he just gets me up in his horns and he threw me a good 30 feet. Yeah, <laughs> bud. Threw me right into the snowbank. <laughs> but, Bring I, I, my, uh, oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead, buddy. Go ahead, Rich. Yeah. Oh, because um, I have a story about a moose too. I've read, my action is actually not a good one, but with how no, I know how big they are because my dad and my ex got in a crack, got in a crash with a moose, and the oh, moose no. ran away fine. And they oh, were in a good. minivan, and the minivan oh, was destroyed. I bet it was. They came, they came out. They came out fine. There's you know scrapes and cra- and scratches and stuff. But that minivan was just totaled, and it rolled too after hitting the moose. Oh, I bet. I've got a new plan for a new show. We're going to call it Moose Lorecast. Oh God! We'll just talk about nothing but mooses. Moose cast. Moose cast. Yeah. Everyone's got a moose story, but there's one. (laughs) There's one last enemy that I need to bring up that I I'd be remiss if I didn't mention. The irradiated Canadian goose. Mm. Now, I don't know how many of you have run into a Canadian goose before. Well, I know I don't like geese because they're mean. (laughs) I've seen them flying above me from in Washington. Yeah, my only story of a a goose. Over the place down here. They are so mean. Oh, my God. God. Yeah, geese are mean. I don't know. I don't know the Canadian geese (laughs) geese from other other goose. And I've got a real quick story. There's a lake in Lakeland where my daughter used to live. And while she was in school. I'd come visit. We'd go out to dinner after school and stuff because she lived with her mom primarily. So on my, on my days to visit, we'd go visit, we'd do our homework, we'd go to, you know, get dinner and stuff. And then we'd have to find stuff to do. So we'd like go to the library or we'd go walk around the lake feeding the ducks or, you know, whatever, you know, dad, daughter stuff. Right. Well, there's some geese that live on the freaking lake and the lake is a mile around in its diameter. And we're spending the evening feeding the ducks and this goose starts following me. It followed me around the entire freaking lake. And while I wasn't looking, came up and pecked to the back of my leg. And I was like, what the heck are you doing goose? I could punch you into the lake, but no, you couldn't. but I can't, I'm not going to because it's a goose. But I was like, really goose. Come on. It is a part of Canadian society. It is a rite of passage for every child who grows up in Canada to have a haunting story about their interactions with a goose. Yeah, it's like they with punch the- you with their face. Yeah, and you know, they have teeth. Yeah, yeah. They, they have scary. teeth. They punch yeah. you and it hurts. Right. Right. Then my, my leg, I could, you know how you, sometimes you get a wound and you can feel the spot where the wound was. Well, I didn't get bruised or anything, but I could definitely still feel like a week later where that goose punched me with its goose face. Now imagine that irradiated and five feet tall. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be scary. Yeah. Yeah. With like half the feathers missing. Oh no. Yeah. Imagine the, the call in the night. Oh, but oh. there's a goose coming. <laughs> oh, I said it's one of those gooses. Oh yeah. Gets the shotgun. 
<laughs> we only. <laughs> oh yeah, bud. <laughs> oh yeah, it's under those dinosaur goose. Don't oh you yeah. Know. Yeah, you gotta watch out for them goose. Yeah, bud. <laughs> yeah, bud. Watch out for them, eh? Don't you know? <laughs> oh, sorry, bud. Didn't mean to cut you off there. <laughs> that sounds awesome. All right. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say like lemmings too, but I don't know. I don't know they're how scary as, those would be. <laughs> they're not as much of an issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess not. All right. Well, I think it's time to wrap up this episode. We've gone on for almost two hours and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, awesome. Thank you everybody for joining me. These ideas are super good. And um, God, Howard, if you are not actually Nunamur and you are listening, then uh, we've given you a plethora of good ideas and also people who you should hire to write for your next Fallout game. So there you go. You guys didn't realize it, but you were putting in resumes tonight to be uh, writers at Bethesda. So congratulations. Um, but thank you everybody for joining me. And uh, as usual, we'll have a regular episode up next week. And to kind of fill you in on some other stuff, I've been putting up more videos and stuff on our YouTube page. So go check out, just search Robots Radio YouTube. You'll find a bunch of that stuff. And I'm not going to reveal it yet because it will be revealed very, 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 very soon. But keep a lookout on the Discord and on Twitter. We've got some stuff brewing. There's some big announcements coming out that I can't talk about yet. In fact, there's like a few of them. And I think you guys are going to be very excited, including ways for you to get more content and all sorts of some fun things that we're putting together. So uh, stay tuned for that stuff. And in the future, if you want to get on an episode of the show, then all you have to do is go to patreon.com and subscribe at tier four. And as long as you do it before the date that we record, which again is usually the last Sunday of the month, then you can get on for that month. And you're always welcome to come back or you're always welcome to just jump on for one month and then downgrade your subscription. No hard feelings. Um, but we love having other people to talk about with all these fun ideas. And before before I say adieu to everyone, man, I, I French all of a sudden for some reason. Uh, guys, does anybody have any fun thoughts about what we might discuss on next month's show? Anybody have anything that's just kind of like in their back pocket that they just want to kind of throw out there as like, here's a potential idea. Favorite weapons. Favorite weapons. Okay. All right. Most most terrifying monster design. Ooh, most terrifying monster design. I like it. Um, you know what might be fun is if we were to talk like most terrifying monster that has been in the series. And then if you were to design your own monster, what would it be? Because it kind of almost went in that territory with the moose and the other stuff we were talking about. <laughs> but you could totally bring a like, okay, this monster terrified me the most. Here's a little bit of info about it. And then like if I was to design a, a really scary monster for the games, here's where I would go. Oh yeah, definitely. What's some like uh cryptids or something? Yeah, cryptid stuff. You could pull from cryptid stuff. You could pull from like Japanese folklore. You could play pull from like other folklore. You could pull from um, you know, just the idea of like some crazy animal that's already super weird that lives in a certain area or maybe connected to the zone that you were talking about. And then like what if that mutated or crossbred with some other weird thing like man there's you can have all sorts of really cool stuff that you could use man bear pig man man bear pig yeah yeah i know that sounds like a fun one to do next month um i think we could totally do uh weapons and stuff too so we'll keep that one in our pockets but why don't we why don't we just set up that one right now just for people listening if you've got thoughts about your scariest experiences with a monster in the game, what you think is the most scary monster in the game, anything like that. And then ideas for future monsters. And we'll get that going for the next 
the next episode at the end of February. So cool. Oh, and what I can tell you guys is that I am making plans. I need to book my flight, but I will be up at PAX East for the Bethesda Days conference thing. I'm going to go. I'm actually going to make the trip. So if anybody lives in the area, nudge, nudge, or is going, nudge, nudge, uh, I'd love to, I'd love to get together with you guys. Any of you guys going to be up there at the end of the month, at the, like February, what is it? 28th, I think. Like well, I'm, I'm not going to be at PAX East. Unfortunately, my kids got tickets, so they're going, but, um, I will definitely be here. I'm always here. So, <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be going up. Um, I know some other people who are going to be going and if, 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 even if you're not at the event, I may not actually get, go into PAX East because it's, it's all mostly sold out by now, but I'm going to go to the Bethesda actual thing. Um, but I would be totally, totally down for setting up like one of the nights to get, you know, just go get drinks, go to a bar, something like that. They, nothing that you guys would have to sign up or pay to go into PAX East, just kind of have a hangout and have a, Hey, this is where we're going to be. Come and come and hang out if you can, that kind of thing. Hell, I might try and get a load down to that area now that you mention it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the last week in February, last weekend, which is, I'm pulling up the calendar right now. Uh, so I'll probably be getting in 27th. I'll be there the 28th, 29th, and then maybe I'll get in the 26th. I have to double check the dates, but it's, it's like Friday and Saturday are the two big days, 28th and 29th. So probably one of those two nights. Um, so yeah, uh, that would be cool. And there's some questions. If some of you guys are asking questions in the chat doing West. Yes. Um, so I went to the ESO thing just last week, uh, in Vegas and got to meet some of the developers and other content creators and stuff like that. So I'm hoping I can get, you know, the opportunity to go to some of these other events throughout the year too. So as I get more of this planned out and figured out, I'll, I'll definitely let everyone know. So awesome guys. Thank you again for joining me. And, uh, shook about ESO. Soybean has, has feelings. We'll have to chat about that off stream or off a uh, recording. Anyway, thank you guys for joining me. And until next week, hang in there. This doesn't make sense. Until next week, go to Fallout 5 locations. And no, that doesn't make any sense either. I'm a lot of ideas, guys. Until next week, stay away from Scary Moose. There you go. That's it. Scary Moose. Incredible. Incredible. Perfect ending. All right, guys. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Nice I'll see you guys next week. See ya. Tom, how's it going? Thank you very much for letting me hop on late. I apologize. I couldn't make it. Um, it sounded like it was super fun and I had a lot to say, but we were driving. Me and my girlfriend were driving from Washington back home to Montana and the lookout pass was covered in snow. It was terrible. No service, so I appreciate you letting me get on late. But I had some things I'd like to say, and I honestly can't wait to hear what you guys said. And I'm, I'm actually happy that I got an extra day because I really couldn't think of anything to say. I really just wanted to hop in and listen, but, but now that's not the case. Now it's not the case. Well, um, Fallout 5 is going to be amazing. It's coming out in years to come, but it's nonetheless going to be amazing. Um, I know that because every Fallout so far has had its own unique feature. It's almost like you can't, it's like the Beatles. It's like, you can't say that you don't like the Beatles because every album is not the same. It's completely different sounding. Um, Fallout 3 was scary and aesthetic and the 
the first one on console, and New Vegas had side quests for days, and so many NPCs, and weapon mods for one, and then Fallout 4 took the weapon mods and armor mods to the next level, and you could build settlements, and, and 76 was all online, and and you could share experiences with your friends. like. And the, and the real question that I have is, like, what's going to be the one for Fallout 5? Are they going to continue with the with the uh, creation, um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the building, the building of the settlements and things of that nature? Or is it going to be dialogue focused like Outer Worlds kind of is? Or what is it? I don't know. Um, so I had a couple points I wanted to touch on. Um, one was gameplay style and then location and, and things I could do or do without. Um, um, for gameplay style, if we're going to compare it to what we've already seen from Bethesda and the Fallout series, um, personally, my favorite Fallout is Fallout 3. And maybe it's just because it was the first one I played, but the aesthetics and how basic it was really intrigued me. And I feel like with the game being so basic, it allowed them to add as much detail as they wanted to um, to the dialogue and to the quests, having multiple steps that have to be done. And, and um, the fact that like if you played the, the quest good or bad, the outcomes were completely different and the NPCs were crazy and the, and the locations all had secrets and I dug that. I personally thought that was a great way to build the game. Um, it seems like Fallout 4 and 76 kind of tried to appeal to the masses. Those were my least favorite, and that's just my opinion. I feel like they tried to appeal to the masses by uh, Fallout 4. The, the wasteland doesn't look like a wasteland. It looks like pretty and grown, and and maybe that's because it's farther down the timeline of since the bombs dropped. Um, I don't know, but that's the way it seems to me. And 76 was... Um, was a great idea for Fallout. You know, I've always thought about playing Fallout multiplayer, but it just didn't seem uh, it was it was better as a thought than to actually play it, in my opinion. But yeah, it seems like those two were focusing on um, for one, like a multiplayer for for seventy six that they were focusing so hard on multiplayer that there was it seemed like there was no detail in the game and Fallout Four. There was so much focus put on um, building, like settlements and your armors and mods, and it seemed like the quests and the factions weren't as real, and like your decisions had like no consequence. Like it just seems like everybody was your best friend, and like you couldn't piss anybody off, and I didn't like that. Um, so gameplay-wise, I really hope that Fallout Five um, really has a deep dialogue and your choices are huge like and I and for one I hope that you can play as an evil person because apparently that's just impossible to do you have to be the savior of the wasteland every game you play like no I want to be a bad guy I want to want to be hustling I want to you know be robbing and or yeah, I don't even know but you know what I mean just be a bad guy and be successful and not screw the whole game over by losing all your quests because you chose the bad way and nobody likes you um, so yeah, I really just hope that it's verse and, and the dialogue is, is detailed and the quests have multiple ways to play out and, and every way that you play them out has just the same amount of outcomes and rewards. And yeah, 
I hope the factions are are detailed as well. I hope I just I just want detail. I'm fine without weapon mods or creation. I don't care about any of that. I just want to go into vaults and figure out what that experiment was and and you know read the terminals and I just like to explore. So I hope there's really good exploring. And with that being said, with locations, I thought of two personally. Um, one, I know that someone already picked Toronto because it was mentioned in the pit as Ronto. Um, and that would be an awesome tie way to tie in a whole new location. You know, playing Fallout 5 is most of it's the pit or something, you know. Maybe instead of Vault Tech, you start up as a slave or something. Like, I don't know. That would be cool. That'd be really cool. I'm also thought about Fallout 4, how Kellogg smokes San Franciscan sunlights. And that's how you pretty much have to catch him and uh, find the clues to his blood trail. Um, I think it'd be cool to do one in San Francisco because the city is beautiful. Um, it's just, you know, it's a huge booming city and there's the ocean and, and the Bay Area's got landscape. And I don't know. That's another tie-in. I hope I just like the tie-ins. I like how everything's connected in a big web of the Fallout universe. So that would be cool. Um but my own dream, I'm from Tennessee personally. So for one reason, I think it'd be awesome to do one in Tennessee, like Nashville or Memphis. Or, but well, I mean, mostly because I want that is because I think the music for every Fallout is the reason I play the game. Like I listen to Fallout 3's soundtrack while I'm cooking dinner and um, Fallout New Vegas while I'm working. And, and it seems like the music's getting pretty similar, you know? Fallout 4 kind of went back to the the pop and the Bing Crosby kind of sound and stuff and New Vegas in, uh, in, you know brought in some country I think it'd be sweet to have some like Mississippi Delta blues and some BB King and and uh, Frederick McDowell and some like old bluesy soul you know and imagine doing that while playing in like the swamps or like Louisiana or Florida, you know, like that would be awesome. I feel like that would just be like an aesthetic that has not been played out yet. You know, maybe not such big cities or whatever. And I haven't played 76, so I don't know if that's already been done with West Virginia, but, you know, I think that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, that's my two cents. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just end it on that. I'm still at work right now recording this, so I better get off before, you know, boss comes in. But regardless, can't wait to hear you guys' comments and what you think about it. And um, yeah, again, thanks, Tom, for letting me hop on late and for everything that you guys do. Um, Patreons, listeners, I hope you guys have a great day and enjoyed the episode.
Thanks for listening to the Fallout Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please contact us at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or follow us and post some messages to us on Twitter at falloutlorecast. And if you'd like to support the show, tell a friend or check out the rewards you can get for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. I really appreciate you listening and I'd love to hear from you soon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.